I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We've been working our way through this letter of the Apostle Paul as he defends his gospel that he proclaimed and preached to the Galatians. Uh, various false teachers, as in their day, so in our day, are always against uh, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the free offer of salvation that for those who believe in him. And so the Apostle Paul is defending his gospel, and in the opening verses that we looked at last week, he appeals to the experience of the Galatians with what I had called the kind of machine gun spray of questions, right? He gives them five questions to shock them out of their stupor. They had been so uh, blinded by this false teaching and how the cross of Jesus Christ was that which was to shock them out of their stupor, to not think that the law would be a means of salvation uh, for them. That the cross of Jesus Christ stood as God's boldest exclamation point that the law was insufficient to save and that only salvation would be found for those who believe, not doing of the law, but believing the promise. Those are the ones who come to know salvation. And so Paul had appealed to their experience, and now he's going to appeal to Abraham, uh, who is often referred to as the father of the faith. And the main question that uh, Paul is trying to answer here is the question, who are the children of Abraham? Who are the children of Abraham? Is it a matter of physical descent or is it a matter of spiritual descent? Who truly are the children of Abraham who receive the promised blessing through Abraham as well? So that's the main question that the Apostle Paul is going to be answering here. And really his arguments can be running through into chapter 5 as well. But we'll only be focusing on verses um, 5 rather 6 through 9. I think the bulletin says 6 through 14, um, but I wanted to shorten the text a bit. So 6 through 9 we'll be reading. Actually, we'll start at verse 5. Galatians 3, verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So far from God's holy word, let's pray that he might bless this word to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word uh, that leads us into truth and into the ways of life and salvation. Father, even as the Apostle Paul reflects upon a couple Old Testament passages and draws out implications uh, for the church in Galatia, but also for us today, help us to receive them with humble hearts and ready hearts, that this word might bear fruit in our lives and that we might be by it. Um, uh, comforted and assured of um, faith and salvation in Christ, uh, but also strengthened um, to live uh, for Christ in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, as he's been doing so far, we've been noting, draws these very stark contrasts, these, these strong divides between two ways of relating to God. Either we relate to God by way of the law, Or we relate to God 
relate to God by way of the promise. And the question becomes to us and to each of us sitting here is how do you define your relationship to God? How do you define your relationship to God? If you define your relationship to God by means of the law, then you are a doer, uh, one who does the law. The verb there uh, throughout this section is doing. Or if you relate yourself to God by way of the promise, then you're not a doer, but a believer, right? Doing has to do with the law. You don't believe the law, right? Imagine you are driving and the speed limit says it's 55 miles per hour. The cop pulls you over because you're going 75. And, right, you said, well, I believed it. It's like, well, no, you don't, you don't believe a law. You do the law. Same thing with a promise, right? If somebody promised you something, you know, I will be giving you uh, this car once you turn a certain age. Uh, so maybe your parents promise you something, right? There's actually even no way of explaining how you would do the promise, right? You can't do a promise, right? You believe the promise, right? And so either we relate to God by law and we are then doers, or we relate to God by promise and we are believers. And Paul is saying that here for Christians, uh, the way in which we are to relate to God is by means of the promise given. Now he's going to then say, you know, why then the law? The law, we're certainly not lawless people. We'll get to that later. Um, for example, if, just to make sure you know that it's actually here, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 asks that very question, why then the law? And so we'll get to that at some point. But here, the Apostle Paul wants us to make sure that when we think about our relation to God and how we were made right with God, it is not by way of the law and law-keeping and law-doing, but by way of the promise, and that, which is to believe that promise and um, to accept that promise by faith. And so now, in order to defend this claim, this, this basic claim that hopefully sounds basic to our ears, uh, but in order to defend this, Paul now appeals to Abraham. And in his argument, well, before I give that point, why, you know, I might ask the question, why Abraham? You know, why does the Apostle Paul go back to Abraham? Well, as I said before, on the one hand, it's because Abraham was considered as the father of the faithful, the father of those who have faith and who are of faith. And so Abraham becomes this exemplar, this paradigm of the one who is to be made right with God. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? That's what the scriptures teach us. Abraham was not counted righteous on the basis of what he had done, but by his faith. But another reason the Apostle Paul might appeal to Abraham here is because it is historically prior to the giving of the law through Moses, Right, this is where the people in Galatia and the false teachers were getting caught up on. Why was the law given through Moses? And again, we'll get to that at a later point. But Paul goes behind Moses, historically behind Moses, to Abraham. And to say that the law did not supersede or usurp the promise that was given. The promise still stands. And so Paul then is going back to Abraham to go before the law was given, before Moses had ascended Mount Sinai and the thundering and the, the, the loud voice and the booming. And he goes back to Abraham to the time where God had made this covenant promise that, that Paul sees now being fulfilled through and in Jesus Christ. Right? So this is why Paul is going back and appealing uh, to Abraham for us. And you'll notice that his argument here in verses 6 through 9 uh, begins, each, there's two different arguments, they're related, but there's two arguments. 
Each of them begin with a quotation from the Old Testament and then an explanation in terms of conclusions that Paul draws from them. So, for example, in verse 6, we have a quotation uh, from Genesis chapter 15 where it says that Abraham, quote, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And then in verse 7, he gives us a conclusion drawn from that. And then we get the second Old Testament quotation at the end of verse 8, where it says, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's a quotation from Genesis uh, chapter 12. Right? So two Old Testament quotations regarding Abraham. And then Paul is going to do what any hopefully good preacher does, is draw out the implications of that text for us. In some sense, um, he's expositing the Old Testament passage for us. So two, two statements that we're going to follow his argument here. So the first one, in terms of defending uh, our our right standing before God by faith alone, the Apostle Paul addresses and appeals to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Again, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So a little bit of the context here, right? Paul isn't just isolating and abstracting this verse, uh, but he also has in mind the context in terms of why this promise uh, and the statement was given uh, regarding Abraham. And if you remember Abraham, uh, Abraham had been living like a pagan in uh, Ur of the Chaldeans. And God, in his sovereign grace and his mercies, came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and, 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 and calls him to leave his country and to go to a place that God had promised to him. And so Abraham, in a sense, is to leave all that he has known. He is is to forsake every comfort, every relation, and he is to go forth. In many ways, it's kind of a symbolic death that Abraham was to embrace. And he was to go to a place that he could not see. Abraham's eyes, his physical eyes, had never been laid upon the land that the Lord was going to bring him. But Abraham was to hear the word of God, and he was to believe what God had said. And he does, right? He forsakes his kinsmen, he, refer, he forsakes his land, and he goes. He goes as God had commanded him, and that through him, God would um, establish his people in the land and bring blessing to, uh, to the nations. And yet, Abraham is then promised that, as he, that through his line, and you know, how will this promise be uh, realized? Well, God was going to provide Abraham with an heir, a son, but Abraham, as the years go on, many of us are familiar with this story, right? The years go on. Abraham gets older and older. His wife, Sarah, uh, gets older and older as well, to the point that they are both well beyond the normal age of childbearing. And Abraham is then uh, takes or, or, or thinks to take this, um, you know, the fulfillment of God's promise into his own hands, that, um, that he would not ultimately have an heir unless he did something um, and has... Um, a child with one other than Sarah. But uh, God eventually comes to Abram and, and promises him that, no, though in his old age, though he's beyond the age of childbearing, uh, though Sarah is well beyond the age of childbearing, he will bear a son. Again, the promise is given in the face, and intentionally so, right? God could have very much been, okay, here's a child, and that would have been the fulfillment of the promise, but God intentionally so um, fulfills his promise and gives his promise in the face of human impossibility. 
that there was nothing that Abraham could appeal to on a, in a natural sense and say, well, here my hope lies. I have hope in this, right? There's, typically, uh, people have children at this age, and therefore I can just uh, have a normal expectation that we too will have a child and God's promise will be fulfilled. No, Abraham is brought to a point where there is no human possibility and there is nothing around him that he could grab hold of to hope in except for one thing. There's one thing, and again, God intentionally focuses the story in Abraham's life to this point. There's one thing that Abraham can hope in. I think you know the answer to this. The promise, right? The promise, the word that God would fulfill his promise. That's the one thing that is left for Abraham to hope in. And that's the one thing that Abraham believed. And that's why it says, in in quoting from Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed God. And again, don't lose the context. He believed God in the face of all human impossibility. He believed God in the face of everything that, 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 that seemed counter and opposed to the fulfillment of the promise. Abraham believed the promise. And it was counted to him as righteousness. What a remarkable statement. Not on the basis of what anything Abraham had done, not on the basis of anything Abraham had offered unto the Lord, not on his obedience, but on the fact that he believed the promise in the face of all human impossibility, that was counted to Abraham as righteousness. It was that by which he had right standing before God. He was accepted before God. Again, not because he brought offerings to God, not because he did something, but because he believed. And again, Paul is drawing this contrast between doing and believing. And he's saying where everything began with Abraham himself, it was a matter not of doing, but of believing the promise. Paul says something similar in Romans uh, chapter 4. You could turn there or just listen. Romans chapter 4. We won't be able to open up all these verses here, but I just want you to see a little bit of a connection here with uh, what Paul is saying in Galatians. Again, notice the focus on promise and the focus on faith. So Romans 4 verse 13 says this, that the promise to Abraham, or rather for the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, right? It's the very thing of believing the promise of God. He was counted to him as righteousness, right? Verse 14, For if it is the adherents of the law, the doers of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, including us. Again, not just physical offspring, um, but, or blood offspring, you can say, but spiritual offspring, those also who would believe as Abraham believed the promise. So, continuing there, verse 16, that not only the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Again, spiritual father. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. You might say, well, why is Paul drawing attention to God bringing life uh, from the dead? Well, again, because Abraham believed the promise 
in the face of all human impossibility. The fulfillment of the promise was as difficult and as impossible for man as it would be for man to raise the dead. But that's not impossible for a God, of course. And God also calls into existence the things that do not exist. So Romans 4, verse 18 goes on to say, In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness, you can also translate that word the deadness, it's the Greek word has to do with nekros, like a necromancer, but it's deadness. And so he believed against all hope, considering his own body as dead, and uh, considered the, the deadness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but Uh, He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Right? Paul's saying the same thing in Galatians. Why is he going to apply this to us? It wasn't written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Right, so commentary in one sense in Romans 4 on Galatians 3 here, where Paul says, again, Abraham believed God in the face of all human impossibility, in the face of death itself. Abraham believed God. He trusted that God's promise would be fulfilled. Even if it must go through the valley of the shadow of death, it will be brought to fulfillment. God who raises the dead can do it. God who brings life out of nothing can do it. And therefore, by believing that promise, having that faith, Abraham was counted righteous. Abraham was counted as righteous before God. And so then Paul draws this conclusion in verse 7 for us. Know then. Right, so Paul is calling us to know something, right? It's not always just a matter of doing something, right? It's also a matter of knowing something, right? So Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith, those who follow in Abraham's steps, those who demonstrate the family trait of faith, of trusting the promise of God in the face of all human impossibility. And specifically, even as Abraham's faith was looking to God to do what was impossible, ultimately, as the scriptures tell us, Abraham's faith, like our faith, was in the Lord Jesus Christ. Him coming, and him dying, and him being raised again from the dead. Easter's coming, so we'll talk more about the resurrection. But every Sunday is a gathering of a a people rejoicing, us rejoicing in the fact that Christ has been raised. God's promise has been fulfilled. Every Sunday is a call to believe and a call to entrust ourselves to that message. That Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave, but he is alive. And he is today seated at the right hand of God in heaven. That in the face of all impossibility from our perspective, God fulfilled his promise. That he gave long ago to Abraham. And now, in our day, in the history of the world, it has been accomplished. It has been fulfilled. And news of that fulfillment, news of God fulfilling his promise, is going out to the world. And has gone even to you and to me this morning, right? Knowledge, knowing, hearing of this 
uh, fulfillment of God's promise. And so then we are to know that if we are to have right standing with God, if we are to understand our relationship to God, it's not on the basis of the law by which we are doers, but on the basis of the promise by which we are believers. We believe the promise. It's not the Christian work, but the Christian faith that we teach, right? And so this is what we are then called to do. Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. We're reminded um, all throughout, even Jesus himself, of this point. Right? He says that Abraham himself rejoiced to see his day. Jesus says that regarding his own day. That Abraham uh, might look looked forward ultimately uh, to the promise being uh, fulfilled. And so are you a son of Abraham? Not of physical descent, not of bloodlines or relations, but are you a son of Abraham? Have you believed the, believed the promise that God has given? The promise of salvation in Jesus Christ, the promise that for, to those who were lost and dead in our sins, a promise given that if you believe, you will be saved. I mean, it's, it kind of goes right back to that, the simple message, for God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember growing up, we would sing, I'm not going to sing it, I can't sing, people sitting here probably know that, um, <laughs> but um, growing up, we would, I don't even know if we fully understood what we were saying, but there was this little hymn, hymn or children's song we would sing, we'd be like, Father Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you, so let's just praise, all right, that's a very much appropriate song for us to sing, are we sons of Abraham, we have Abraham as our father, it wasn't those circumcised those following the law, those doing these things that had Abraham as their father, but it was those who believed the same promise, and that promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Those are the sons of Abraham who know the same righteousness that Abraham knew as well. So that's Paul's first argument, right? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The second argument comes in verse 8. There Paul says, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, right? Because if, if salvation and justification is by faith, believing, not doing, well then, could not those who are outside of Israel without the law also believe the promise? And that's the whole point Paul is saying here, right? He's saying not only for Abraham, but now he's expanding that to all people, even the Gentiles, who would believe. And so it says, the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles um, by faith, preached the gospel. An interesting statement, right? The very gospel Paul is defending here, who he was being accused of being out of step with the scriptures, out of step with the other apostles. Paul is saying the very gospel that he's preaching, and he was commissioned by Christ to proclaim, the gospel that we continue to bring forth to the world today, is the very same gospel that was preached to Abraham. The very same good news, the very same message that was preached to Abraham. And in fact, Paul's message and the gospel we proclaim um, in step with Paul was also in step with the Old Testament scriptures, the very gospel that was preached to Abraham. A strong line of, of continuity that is given here. And so this helps us, maybe somewhat of an aside, but it applies here, to then recognize that the whole Bible is the gospel preached, the gospel proclaimed. 
The Old Testament is the gospel in promissory form, as a promise. The New Testament is the gospel as fulfilled. That's the one thing, bringing the whole of it together. We can talk about covenants and all that other stuff. The covenant of grace, right? That's the larger structure that brings it all together. But we can see very simply the way the Apostle Paul understood the Old and the New Testaments is that the Old was the gospel promised. The New is the gospel fulfilled. Which means the gospel fulfilled that we hear and we proclaim is the very same gospel preached to Abraham. Again, if I could draw some commentary from Romans on this. Romans chapter 1, Paul makes this point very explicit. Old Testament is the gospel promised. New Testament is the gospel fulfilled in Christ. So Romans 1 verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Right? And you might say, well, what is this gospel? The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So as Paul is writing this, the Holy Scriptures were primarily the Old Testament. The Old New hasn't been finished and written fully yet. And so when Paul says that the gospel was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, he's saying the Old Testament is the gospel promised. And the New, as he goes on to say, right, this gospel promised in the Old Testament had to do, and it's centered upon, Jesus Christ. Verse 3 of Romans 1, he says that this gospel is concerning, the content of this gospel is his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ. Again, to believe the gospel is not to believe something that is humanly possible. To believe the gospel is to believe that God has raised his son from the dead, and that he is today alive and in heaven, and uh, will come again with great glory. This is what Abraham believed, this is what the church continues to believe, and it's what you are called to believe even this morning. Now, Paul goes on to say, right, so the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and now here he's quoting from Genesis chapter 12, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In you shall all the nations be blessed. This is the promise given uh, to Abraham very early on in Genesis uh, chapter 12. There in those opening verses, this promise that Abraham would unleash the blessing of God, not just for his bloodline, but for the nations and for the world. And that this blessing consisted not just of material blessing, but it's best summarized maybe in the, the Aaronic blessing, the high priest blessing that we often use as the benediction for our own services, right? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace, right? There's three statements there in terms of a threefold blessing that God has for his people. The first is peace with God. To, to have peace with God, no longer to be at enmity with him, no longer to be at war with God, hating him and, and rebelling against him, but now laying down our arms and finding peace and rest. Secondly, favor of God, that God would have favor and he would look upon us and smile. And then thirdly, and, and kind of the ultimate point, is fellowship with God, that the light of his face might shine upon us, right? That, that, that's the picture of fellowship, of, of being in the presence of somebody, Right? Imagine, um, you know, seeing somebody you love deeply and loves you deeply, right? And coming into their presence, it's, it's not a, like there's a, you know, there's not a physical glow that you're going to necessarily see from their face, but you might, we might describe that as a kind of glow, right? You see one you love and, and one that loves you back. 
And that's what, that's what Paul is saying. The blessing uh, that, that, that Abraham is to break open for the nations is, is that kind of blessing. That they might be brought back into fellowship with God, to be loved by him and to love him in return. That's the kind of blessing that Abraham was promised. And this blessing would be not just for Abraham and not just for his physical bloodline, but for, as it says, the nations. Now, Paul is going to go on in the rest of Galatians 3 and elsewhere to show how, you know, how did it break open? How did it now come to the nations? How has it come to us even this morning? On what warrant, what grounds does this promise given to uh, Abraham so long ago, how does it apply to us today? Paul's saying it's through Jesus Christ, the greater offspring, that offspring promised who would break open the nation so that the blessing for the nation, so that all who believe in Jesus, all who come to Christ, know that very blessing. They know peace with God. They know the favor of God. They know fellowship with God. They know the love of God, even as they love him in uh, return. That's what Paul is saying was true in Abraham's day. It was promised long ago, and you shall all the nations be blessed. And again, he draws a conclusion, right? He quoted the Old Testament before, drew a conclusion. He quotes the Old Testament here and draws another conclusion. He says, verse 9, So then, those who are of faith are blessed. Those who are of faith are blessed. Those who are of faith have peace with God. Those who are of faith have the favor of God. Those who are of faith have fellowship with God that brings rest and peace and satisfaction for their souls. Those who have faith those who have the faith of Abraham, the same faith, right, are those who no longer know God as judge, but now have him as our father. Those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what this passage here in Scripture is impressing upon us is saying that if I am to be right with God, it's not a matter of doing and bringing things and sacrificing, right? As I mentioned earlier, we all of us came here with nothing in our hands. Maybe I mean, it's not a fellowship meal this week. Sometimes we bring like a casserole or a, you know, uh, Rich made some delicious macaroni and cheese the other week. You know, so it's like we, we come with that. But those aren't sacrifices and gifts, right? Those are just fun things we're enjoying uh, in response, right? We don't come to win God's favor with our macaroni and cheese or with a sacrifice or whatever it might be, right? We come empty-handed to worship him and to receive from him, to hear these promises, and then it calls us to believe that promise and to trust that promise. God has done what was impossible for me to do. He has raised the dead. He has brought Jesus Christ back to life. And if I trust in him and believe in him, then I too will find newness of life. And I too will have died with Christ and have been raised with Christ. And that I too will be able to walk in this newness of life. And so, what is it calling you to do? It's calling you then to know that those of faith are the sons of Abraham. And to know that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. And so believe the promise. Believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ, as he says, and we'll conclude with these verses here, that that through Jesus Christ, that God has raised him from the dead. Galatians chapter 1 verse 2. And he also has given himself, Jesus Christ, the gospel message we are called to believe is that Jesus Christ has given himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age and bring us into his new creation where we will be blessed. We will have the peace of God never to be disrupted. We have the favor of God never to be lost and fellowship with God that is unending 
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how clear and simple uh, your word is. And we can spend uh, many minutes, hours, Lord, discussing these things. And yet, the simple message uh, that faith in Jesus Christ alone makes us right with you uh, is so easy and yet so hard to, to live by and to receive. And so we ask that your spirit would be at work, uh, working faith where there is no faith, uh, strengthening faith where there is, that we might trust and know that as you have raised Christ from the dead, uh, so too we who have come to know Christ find the fulfillment of that promise. We find newness of life, that we have been crucified to this world, and that we are alive unto you to offer up our lives as living sacrifices. So, So help us to do that by your grace, that Christ may be praised, we ask in his name. Amen.